I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13, we continue our preaching from this book, and as we uh, do go through this book, um, we're reminded of Paul's words to us uh, that we just read earlier this evening, whatsoever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. And uh, those words uh, seem applicable to us as we go through uh, this account of the Lord's dealings with his covenant people, uh, even uh, as we look tonight at uh, his dealings with the northern kingdom and uh, King Jeroboam. You remember that uh, Jeroboam had uh, uh, been fearful that if the people in the north were to continue to go to Jerusalem and to be exposed to the beautiful temple that was just built and all of the religious uh, ceremonies and celebrations that would take place there, uh, that Jeroboam was fearful that if that would continue and there were pilgrimages from the north to Jerusalem, that the loyalty of the people's hearts would be switched to the southern kingdom of Judah, and to the lineage of David. And so he determined to set up for the kingdom of the north two shrines, one in Bethel in the southern part of the northern kingdom, and one in Dan, the northern part of the northern kingdom. And he began to ordain a priest, not of the tribe of Levi, but of his own choosing, anyone who wished, could become a priest, a gross violation of the requirements of God's law. And in the establishment of the shrine in both Bethel and Dan, he set up two golden calves, which were also a gross violation of God's law. And uh, as we begin tonight's reading, Jeroboam is about to begin in the dedication ceremony of the shrine that he has established in Bethel, with the golden calf, and uh, he is trying to imitate Solomon, as Solomon had done with uh, the temple, so he is now trying to do with this idolatrous shrine, and uh, as Solomon had done in Jerusalem, he is trying to do in Bethel. So uh, we begin then chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Uh, We'll read the whole of the chapter Behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. When the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he had stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. 
The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was, was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him, the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you, Or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. As they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And he went away, and as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it, and the lion also stood beside the donkey, beside the body. Behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body, and they came and told it to the city, in the city where the old men, the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, 
The Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord. The Lord had spoke to him. And he said to him, Son, sons, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. And the lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. He laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as you have given us this account, this account of the word that you caused the prophet to speak, and the subsequent events, we come before you asking that you would illumine our minds, open our hearts, that we may receive the message that you have from, for us for, from it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the passage that we have just read, uh, if the commentators are, are uh, often say it is one of the strangest uh, stories, accounts in the Old Testament. There are so many questions that we come away with as we read this account. I think it's helpful to notice repetition in the narrative sections of the Bible. As you read the Bible in your own personal reading, it's helpful to you to notice when words are repeated or concepts run, come up again and again and again. Even in the description of events, you'll find that events uh, in their description are repeated again and again. You might have noticed that the description of the man laying in the road and the donkey and the lion, that was repeated many times in this passage. It's meant to, for us to take notice of it and to envision that in our mind and, and to learn something from it. Another phrase that's repeated in chapter uh, 13 of uh, First Kings is the phrase, the word of the Lord. And uh, again, you have this, uh, this account again of the, of the word of the, of the Lord being spoken through these, the mouths of these prophets. And uh, the, the, the fact that this word comes to pass. And uh, so I think we could say that the primary focus of this chapter is just that. It is the trustworthiness and the power of God's word that he has spoken 
to his people. When God delivers his word, it is true, and it most surely is uh, going to come to pass uh, that which he says. And whatever he predicts by way of judgments because of sin or wickedness, we can count most surely that those words, those predictions will come to pass. On the other hand, whatever God promises to his covenant people in terms of blessedness and joy and the, and the glories that belong to God's people, those words also can be counted on. The words that are repeated in the gospel, uh, that your sins are forgiven, that in Christ our sins are paid for on the cross, that word of forgiveness is a word that we may trust. It is so important for us as we go through our lives to remember we always exist in relation to the word of God. It is mighty, it is powerful, and it elicits and it provokes a response from us when we hear it. How will we respond when God's word comes to us in power? It may be in the secrecy of your own room that God's word comes to your mind. It may be in a worship service in which God's word is being publicly preached that God's word comes to your conscience in a particular way. It may be even at, uh, as you're going about your daily lives that, that God's word and the promises and the comfort of God's word come to you and we respond to that. Our hearts, uh, if we are uh, in Christ, respond to that in faith. And if we are not in Christ, we see that the word of God is rejected. We see it in the text that we have just read, that it is rejected by Jeroboam. But the power of the word of God is clearly seen in this chapter. We see it. We can divide this chapter into three scenes. In this, many ways you could divide it. But uh, we're going to look at it divided into three scenes. In scene one, we will see the man of God delivering the word of God to Jeroboam. That's in um, 13.1 through verse 10. In scene two, we will see the man of God disobeying the word that God gave to him. And the fact that God, therefore, brings a lion to slay him. And so that's scene two. And that's in chapter 13, verses 11 through 25. And then in uh, scene three, the man of God is tenderly buried in another man's tomb in Bethel. And we see that in verses 26 through 32. And then at the very end of this chapter, um, it, it is summarized, uh, we have a summary statement that Jeroboam did not repent in spite of all of this message that God brought to him. And therefore, God is revealing his justice when he brings his punishments upon Israel. You have to remember the original audience for this are the exiles, those who had experienced that, these judgments. And the uh, writer 
wants to show the justice of God, and he shows that by showing the number of times the word of God has come to this people, and God has addressed them directly, and they've rejected that word. That's a word for us as well. The number of times that God has come in his grace and mercy and brought to us his word. And uh, how is it that we respond to that word? That's the ultimate question in terms of personal application. But first of all, the man of God delivers the word of God uh, to Jeroboam. And we see that in the first 10 verses of this chapter. We see that uh, actually chapter 12 flows right into chapter 13. Um, in, uh, in chapter 12, verse 32, uh, we have mention of the fact that uh, Jeroboam is offered, has offered sacrifices on the altar. And he did this in Bethel. Uh, and uh, verse 33, he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel, and it gives the date that he did this. And then at the very end of chapter 12, verse 33, we have this word, and he went up to the altar to make sacrifices. So again, repetition, right? The altar is the thing that is foremost in this account. And then as chapter 13 begins, we read, and behold, a man of God came out of Judah Notice that he's nameless. He comes out of Judah by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord uh, caused him to come to uh, Bethel. And uh, Jeroboam is standing by the altar, again, mention of the altar, to make offerings. And uh, the man of God uh, cries against that altar. And he tells of a time in which there is a king, and he gives the name of the king. Josiah, uh, Josiah by name of the house of David, he will come and he will sacrifice on this altar the priests of the high places that are now making offerings on you, and their human bones will be burned on you. And this exact uh, uh, description of what would occur when uh, Josiah and the reforms that he made, that he actually did carry this, out. We read of this in 2 Kings 23, which we won't take the time to go look at, but Josiah did carry out exactly this prophecy. It was fulfilled exactly as it is stated here by the man of God. In addition to the word of God to Jeroboam, this prophet brings a sign, a sign that will take place that will confirm the truth of the word of God. And that sign is that this altar is going to be torn down, and the ashes on it will be poured out. So here is a powerful word of judgment against, not Jeroboam, but against the altar, against this worship, which is a desecration of the true worship of God. And so we see the importance of of worshiping God according to his word and not... Uh, following uh, false uh, ways of worship. And so Jeroboam then responds to this word that has been spoken. And how does he respond? It's a very dramatic event. 
You can picture in your mind, this prophet has interrupted a worship service. He's come into it, and he's, he's broken it all up, and he's given the word of God. Jeremiah, uh, uh, Jeroboam is there, and he's turning, and he's pointing to this prophet, saying, seize him. And as he points to the man to be seized, his hand, God acts supernaturally, and his hand is um, is um, dried up. It says in verse in in verse four, he stretched out his 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 hand to him. It dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. So you can imagine he's there with his hand out. It's 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 now lame, but he can't move it. And uh, God has acted in a supernatural way. Now imagine that a miracle has happened to Jeroboam. Jeroboam has been struck by God, physically, in a dramatic way. And uh, the altar uh, then, subsequent to this happening to, to Jeroboam, uh, the altar is torn in, and uh, the ashes are poured out exactly uh, as this sign had been spoken by the prophet. We don't know exactly how that happened. Maybe it was some sort of... Uh, a special event, an earthquake or something, but this happened right there and then, that the altar was torn and destroyed by the Lord. And here's Jeroboam with his hand uh, deformed. And uh, then suddenly, suddenly Jeroboam is in uh, need. He is in need. But what is he in need of? This speaks to us as well, right? Because um, what are we in need of? when we experience the consequences of our sin, immediately we want the consequences of our sin removed. We want it reversed. Uh, perhaps something uh, has happened you, uh, as, a, as a natural outgrowth of something that we have done, and uh, we're in pain, and, and we're hurting, and we say, Lord, uh, remove this from me. And uh, that, uh, that happens in, in our lives. But the primary concern, so often, as it was for, it, it was for Jeroboam, was that, that uh, Lord, uh, fix this problem, uh, not the source of the problem, which was his rebellion against God. He wasn't repentant. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, as a result of God striking him, uh, humble himself and pray he entreats the prophet to pray for him. And the prophet, amazingly, wonderfully, prays for him, and God heals him. Imagine that. In that moment, uh, his arm struck, and then due to God's mercy upon him and the entreaty of the prophet on his behalf, he is healed. And yet, in spite of that miraculous event, Jeroboam is unmoved, and it tells you. It's not miracles. Uh, you know, the, uh, in the parable that Jesus told, he said if, a, if someone uh, uh, comes from the dead and announces uh, the horrors that are suffered in hell, they will not believe. They will not believe. And Jeroboam here is a man who has a hard heart. Only God can change a heart. Jeroboam is like a pharaoh in that respect, and uh, he is healed. But he adopts a new tactic, and his tactic is to win the prophet over. 
He invites the prophet now to his home, and he wants the prophet to do that so that he can convince him of the goodness of his program and how it is needed. And uh, the prophet uh, does not go home with him. He says, if you give me half your house, I will not go with you. I will not eat the bread or drink water. And here he announces to uh, Jeroboam, in the presence of the audience that was there, the word that the Lord commanded him, that he was not to do this. He was not to eat bread or drink water, nor return, uh, but he was to re- not to return from the way that he came, but he was to go home another way. And uh, so at, at a very high moment of drama, and at the invitation of the king, the prophet is obedient to God's word to him. And he uh, goes home another way. And so we are presented here then with uh, this uh, bold, prophetic word, the obedience of the prophet and the disobedience of Jeroboam, the continued hardness of heart. Moving then to the second scene. And the second scene is in verses 11 through 25. And in this account, we have then the prophet, uh, an old prophet. We're told of of, of an old prophet that is living in Bethel, and he has two sons. And his sons come back, and they report to him excitedly everything that they saw happen, which was truly a miraculous event, an event that portended judgment upon uh, the house of Jeroboam and upon the northern kingdom of Israel. They told their father, and the words in particular, notice verse 11, the words that he had spoken to the king. That is, I will not go home with you. Well, this old prophet uh, who lives in Bethel uh, says, which way did he go? Saddle my uh, donkey. And he goes after the man of God, and he finds him sitting under an oak tree. And he asks him, Are you the man of God? Are you the man of God um, that has come from Judah? And uh, he says that he is. And then he says to this old prophet, says to the man of God, um, come home and eat. Uh, Come home with me and eat bread. Verse 14, uh, 15. Verse 16, he says, The prophet repeats his refusal that he had spoken earlier. I may not do this, but I'm required uh, not to uh, eat or drink in this place, that is, in Bethel. Uh, And it was said to me uh, by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there. So, So this is the word of God that was spoken to this prophet and uh, to the man from uh, from the man uh, from from Judah, the man of God, and uh, after, when when he hears when the prophet says hears this in verse uh, six uh, eighteen yeah verse eighteen he says I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. And then the, the, the writer of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, says, But he lied to him. 
It's an amazing occurrence. He lies to him. He tells him something that reminds us of a passage in the New Testament, right? The Apostle Paul said, if an angel even comes to you and brings you uh, any other gospel than the gospel that I preach, let him be anathema. Here, this old prophet claims to have had an angel spoken to him. Notice that he doesn't claim to have received a word directly from the Lord. He claims to have received a word from an angel that the Lord had spoken to the angel. So it's sort of couched in, in that, those kind of indir- indirect language. And so the man, in verse uh, 19, we're told he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Kind of uh, reminds you of Genesis. And so they took the fruit. uh, And he ate the bread and drank. So this man of God who had been so bold and so courageous just shortly before now uh, is presented with something and he disobeys the express command of God to him. He's sitting at the table. And again, the word of the Lord comes to this old prophet from Bethel who had previously just lied to this man. And he cries to the man of God who came from Judah. And this is what he says. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but you have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place in which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Now, it's important to notice that he, this is not a word of damnation. This is not uh, a word of God to this man of God from Judah saying that he is damned eternally. But it is a temporal punishment. Early death and a burial away from his family's burial plot in a strange place. So that word of God is spoken to him. And this whole chapter is laid out to help us to see how the word of God comes and things happen just as the word of God says. And so, in a wonderfully hospitable way, this old prophet from Bethel, sends the man of God on his way on his donkey. Verse 23, he gave him his donkey to take back. But as he's on the way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body is thrown in the road. And the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. An amazing picture. People walked by, they saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And then they reported this very unusual sight. Can imagine? Can you imagine? A, a lion kills a man, does not tear his body. There's a donkey right there, the lion doesn't attack the donkey. But these animals are instruments of God. They are under God's power, and his word is controlling them. They are executing the decree 
of judgment upon this prophet. Decree of temporal judgment in an early death, bringing him to his death. And uh, the picture of these two animals standing there, almost as sentinels, standing guard over the body. On the one hand, you have this idea of God has punished this man. On the other hand, you have God's protection for the body, for his body that is now in the road. Nothing is going to happen to it that God does not allow to happen to it. And so where it gets back to Bethel, where the old prophet lived, and we come to the third, we have the third uh, um, the third uh, scene that we want to look at. The man of God that has been struck down by the Lord is now buried in another man's grave in Bethel. And so the very word that was pronounced through the old prophet of Bethel is now uh, brought to pass. And so the, the uh, old prophet in verse 26 um, when he had, he says, when he brought him back uh, from the way he heard of it, he said, it is the man of God, he identifies him, it is the man of God who disobeys the word of the Lord, and therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord has spoken to him. Notice there, according to the word that the Lord has spoken to him. Again, the word that God has spoken comes to pass. He says to his sons again, and it is repeated, right? He did this before. Saddle my donkey. Must have had another donkey. So he says, saddle my donkey, and uh, he does, and he goes and he finds the body. And again, you have this description repeated. The body on, on the road, the donkey, the lion, standing beside the body. And the amazing thing is that the lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. So the prophet then uh, takes the body of the man of God, lays him in, brings him to the city to mourn and to bury him. What a wonderful thing. Uh, he honors this prophet. The old prophet honors this man of God and he gives him a burial. He mourns him, and he buries him. This is why there's so many questions that come to mind about this, aren't there? And then they're not answered. He laid the body in his own grave. He laid the body in his own grave. So he then fulfills the word that God had given through him just a little while before. They mourn over him, saying, Alas, my brother, and after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried, and lay my bones beside his bones. And again, note these words, verse 32, For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, against all the houses, of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. And so this word of God is a mighty and a powerful word. 
and he brings it to pass that which he has spoken. He gives instructions. After giving a burial, he gives instructions. Bury me when I die with this man. It is most interesting that neither one of these prophets are named. The old prophet of Samaria and the prophet from Judah, they have no names. And in that sense, commentators call attention to the fact that they are, in a sense, representative of the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And there is a sense in which this, these two men, having failed and disobeyed God, represent the failure of the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south, and they together are buried in a grave, suffering the curse of sin and death, although uh, the, the, the prophet from the north uh, dies early according to God's word. They represent their respective kingdoms and the judgment that will come upon them because of the idolatry eventually of the southern southern kingdom as well as the north. The request of the old prophet from Bethel is that his body be laid next to this man of God from Judah. They are symbolic, I think, And their failures as prophets, the sin of the man of God from Judah, and failing to discern the word of God and the lie that was told to him, and failing to question and to test the spirit, the failure of that prophet, the sin of the southern, uh, of the northern prophet, points to the need of a greater prophet. These two prophets end up in the grave together, but together they point to one who will come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he was tempted, when he was lied to by Satan, Jesus discerned perfectly the falseness of those temptations, and he resisted them perfectly. And Jesus, though he was perfectly obedient to his Father, he also dies. But he dies as one who is the substitute. He pays for the sins of these two prophets. He pays for the sins of you and me who trust in him. The message of the gospel is, and this, this I think, if we, if we end this with the scene of a burial and two prophets' bones together in one grave, and you can say that the message of the gospel is that we also need to be buried with the Lord Jesus Christ we also need to be so joined to Jesus Christ in his death that on the great day in which the effects of the curse, sin and death and hell are ultimately 
and finally triumphed over in his second coming, we will rise from the grave of death because we are united with Christ in his death. So I invite you tonight to know some things. First of all, that the word of God is absolutely true. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever doubts you may have, know this. What God has spoken will come to pass. That applies both by way of judgments. And it also applies to that grace that he pours out upon us so richly, undeservedly. And we may feel, you may feel, I often wrestle. How could he love such a one as me? How could he forgive my sins? And I think of how difficult it is for us to hold on to and to grasp that word. And I want you to see in this chapter that God's word is absolutely true. And it doesn't matter who it's delivered by. You know, you look at these prophets. Both of them utter uh, men who show themselves to be men who sinned. Yet, the word of God is true. Trust in the promise of Christ that if you believe in him and you are united to him in his death, you will rise. Do you not know, Paul says, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God has the power to raise the dead. Ezekiel 37. We have all utterly failed. We have all broken God's commandments. But God has promised all who place their hope in Christ that he will raise you from the grave on the great day of his coming. Did Jeroboam get that? Did Jeroboam turn? No, he did not turn. Verse 33, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. He continued to do what he was doing. And the result of it was that he was cut off and destroyed from the face of the earth. He and all who were like him. And so it will be for all who disregard the word of the gospel, the word of Christ, they will suffer a similar fate to be destroyed, to, to be cut off, to be destroyed from the face of the earth. No more horrible words could be spoken. To be utterly cut off, to be destroyed from all of that which God is and all of the blessedness of his kingdom. May it be that we will remember this message, put our trust in God's eternal word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we 
humbly come before you as those who have broken your commandments, as those who have lacked all kinds of discernment, as those who have failed in so many ways. Oh, how do we do thank you for Jesus Christ who did not fail at all, but was faithful and obedient and died on the cross for our sins. Oh, we do thank you. And Lord, would it be that, may it be, that you would impress upon us, we might walk in thankful obedience for that redemption that you have given to us in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking of the future, uh, thinking of the greatness of the redemption that is provided for us uh, by Christ, let's stand together and sing hymn number 498, I Will Sing of My Redeemer.